It is great to be with you. I'm Rabbi Ken Brodkin. This is the Jewish Growth Podcast. And as I'm recording today's episode, it is the first day of Elul. The month of Elul begins, and we do so with the blast of shofar. Our sages teach us that there's many inner reflections that we can attain during this month as we absorb the sound of shofar. For one thing, the shofar announces the arrival of the king, the melech. There is a saying that during Elul, Melech Basada, the king is in the field, and in Elul, God's presence is already palpable. However, an awkward thing is that as Americans, we don't have such a positive view of kings. On the contrary, when the founders wrote the Constitution, one of their biggest fears was monarchy. In fact, the founders considered having a group of actually two or three people as head of state instead of a single president. That idea was rejected, but the debate was based on our founders' bad experience with self-serving European kings. Most of us who are here probably feel very good about living in America, where we dislike kings. And in that light, it might feel that while in, in the United States we have progressed, Judaism is looking backwards. As Jews, every week we utter the wish that God will bring us back to Yemei Kedem, the days of old. We pray on a daily basis for the sprouting of Davidic rule when we will return to theocratic monarchy. Hmm, let's try to sell that idea. Do we really want to go back to Davidic rule and monarchy? The American founders hated hereditary monarchy. Why should we pray for a return to the days of old? We know that life changes and progresses, and that's a good thing. Democracy is good. And yet we also know that even democracy is not perfect. Look at the wide array of problems that face our society today, from widespread loneliness to the breakdown of meaningful discourse in the political sphere. There are a myriad of issues that face us. Here's an interesting nugget. When Thomas Jefferson first drafted the Declaration of Independence, he wrote, We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable that all men are created equal. Sound familiar, but strange? Well, Benjamin Franklin suggested a fateful edit of that phrase. Instead of sacred and undeniable, he suggested, instead writing, we hold these truths to be self-evident. While Jefferson's original language was of a religious bent, Benjamin Franklin took a rational approach. In this edit, Franklin suggested that the foundational concepts of the United States were based on human reason and not sacred belief. Still, perhaps Jefferson was on to something with his first draft. How much really is self-evident? When we look at American culture, we find that important ethics and morals can be washed away in a generation or less. What was self-evident in American society a decade or two ago is morally reprehensible today. There are so many eternal truths in the Torah but the truths of Torah may be more sacred than self-evident. There's plenty of times that sophisticated societies reject important moral postulates. Democracy is a good system. Any intelligent person can see an array of societal ills that may arise within a democracy, never mind the fact that democracy itself is vulnerable, especially in our times. What do we as Jews say? What is our solution? to society's ills, get rid of democracy and have a hereditary hereditary monarchy? Can we honestly relate to the desire that we speak of to go back to the days of old? 
Tomorrow we will be marking the second day of Elul, and in Shul we'll be reading the mitzvah to appoint a king. Now, oddly, in that presentation itself, there seems to be a jab at the kingship. The Torah remarks that when we go to the land of Israel, we will say, What is the point to king like all the nations that surround us? This doesn't sound like an overwhelmingly positive way to put the mitzvah of appointing a king. Now, that by the time we get later on in the Tanakh and Sefer Shmuel, the book of Samuel, we see even more explicitly that kingship was not desired by God, but rather tolerated. Hashem says that when the people asked Shmuel for a king, it was an implicit rejection of God. People are supposed to be subservient to the true sovereign of the universe, not overly powerful humans. Yet, the Torah does adapt to monarchy. We're given a version of kingship in Judaism that aligns with Torah values. And there's checks and balances within the Jewish monarchical system. Perhaps the most important check is the prophet. The prophet or Navi and the king Melech are two different figures who work in tandem. And the Rambam points out that the king in Israel actually derived his power from the prophet. As you know, David was appointed and really anointed by Shmuel, Samuel, and so on. The prophet is the person who keeps the king in balance. This is true for all kings, Sadiqim or otherwise. When King David sinned with Bathsheba, for example, Natan chastised David. And Natan didn't even get his head chopped off in European fashion. Even Ahav, also known as Ahab, the classic evil king, he was chastised by Eliyahu, Elijah. The king was just one part of a total system, and they were not all-powerful. What's more, the king was commanded to make his own internal balance with God. He was required to have a Sefer Torah written so that, as the Torah says, So he'll read from it all of his days in order that he will learn to fear Hashem as God. And his heart will not become haughty above his brethren. Notice, it doesn't say that he shouldn't become haughty over the masses, but rather over his brethren. In Judaism, there are no masses, because we all matter, and the king is a first amongst equals. The Rambam adds to this picture. When it came time to bring the king's son into the kingship, the son must be of equal stature to the father in wisdom and fear of heaven, the Rambam writes. If the son is lacking in wisdom, we teach him more wisdom. If he is lacking in fear of God, though, says the Rambam in the laws of Malachim, the son doesn't get to be the king at all. And so unlike the kings of Europe, the king in Israel was not justified by his family ties alone. His rulership was justified by the degree to which his kingship pointed to God, to the sovereign of the universe. King David was the ultimate example, using his life to reflect that God is the true king. His authorship of the beautiful Tehillim, the Psalms, defined him as the king who teached us to sing and to praise Hashem, the Melech Malchim Lachim, the king of kings. Just think how unique the Torah is. The very fact that the Torah teaches us that a king must be modest and humble is very forward-thinking, though it remains a radical idea in our times. Consider, mo- consider modern-day tyrants like or Vladimir Putin, these despots are the epitome of arrogance. They are the precise opposite of humble 
humble leaders like Moshe and David. The prayer for the sprouting of David is not a desire for just any non-Jewish system. Rather, it's a hope to return to a uniquely Jewish paradigm. We daven, we pray for a return to a system where God is recognized as the sovereign of the universe. And this is because the Torah is the path through which we can overcome the challenges that face our world. In American society today, there's widespread challenges. For example, consider anxiety amongst college and high school students. Anxiety which leads to an array of mental health issues, including greater instance of suicide. In recent months, a teenager from Connecticut tragically took his life after being slandered in an online chat room associated with his prestigious prep school. Here is an example of how even our high society can miss the mark. Where does this problem come from? It comes from the fact that God's kingship is not fully realized in our world. In a world where God's kingship reigns, people will see that their true self-value is not based on academic achievement, but on growing their connection to God, the king of the universe. And this connection to the sovereign of the universe really is what the month of Elul is all about. Our rabbis actually teach us that the letters of the Hebrew word Elul allude to Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed, Ani, Lododi, Vedodi, Li. I am unto my beloved, and my beloved is unto me. But how do we realize this vision? What steps can we take during Elul? These are days, these are weeks that we are actively preparing for the high holidays. Complex but beautiful days when our lives will revolve around God. And there's a lot to that. There's a lot to get ready. And through this time, we do a simple thing. We read the 27th Psalm, Ladavid Hashem Ori, where King David speaks of his yearning to be close to God. He declares that he has one desire. There's really one desire that defines his life. There's one thing that I ask of God that I shall seek. That I shall dwell in the house of God all the days of my life. To behold the sweetness of God and to contemplate his sanctuary. Think about that. The idea of contemplating God during these days is so foundational. This moment in the year of Elul is really a time of dwelling in the house of God, contemplating on the idea that being in the house of God is exactly what we're approaching. But how do we prepare for this? And one idea here is that we mentally prepare. We should mentally envision the days of the high holidays approaching and asking ourselves, how do we want this year to bring us closer to the king? Mental visioning is a huge exercise. It's important in everything in life, certainly for approaching the high holidays. And so one way we can make this happen is to recite that this 27th Psalm each morning during this month, this emotion of desiring to dwell in the house of God that David speaks about is exactly the frame of mind we need to strive for during these days. While we have a lot of work ahead of us to prepare for the high holidays, the days of awe, the Yom Raim, we have so much perspective to gain during this time. Let's celebrate the presence of the king as we do so. Torah's vision, Vashem is our Melech, a needed vision. 
will enrich our world as we turn to the true sovereign of the universe. Thanks for being with me. I'm Ken Brodkin, and this is the Jewish Growth Podcast. Thank you.